a musical adventure. New artists, new musicians, and everyone involved in the world of music. Live from Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, this is J-Rod Concerts the Podcast with your host, Jamie Rodriguez. Let's find out what we have this episode. Welcome, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Rod Concerts, the podcast. This is your humble host, uh, fearless leader, Jamie Rodriguez. Hope everyone is doing great out there in uh, podcast land. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast, wherever you're listening to. Um, we know how many options you have, and uh, we're really, really, really grateful to each and every one of you. So thank you so much. Um, quick reminder that if you are so inclined, we do have this interview and um, most others in video as well uh, up on our YouTube, J-Rod Concerts Media, as well as you know our Instagram, J-Rod Concerts Media, and all across our social platforms. Now, today's episode, ladies and gentlemen, we are so excited because this is an artistic soul that in one way or another connects so many threads here in Nashville. We've been crossing paths with Julie Williams for what seems like a couple years now. She's always present in major events. She was named CMT Next Woman of Country in 2023. Um, we, uh, she hangs a lot with uh, you know, Devon Gilfillian's crew, and she's always doing her own magic. And we were always like, that individual has not only a lot of uh, panace, but my God, can she sing. And as we forge deeper into her life and her soul, she's a very important artist, not only now, but going forward in the future in the music industry. So Julie Williams, we're so thrilled to have her on the show. She's been turning heads in the country music scene, in the Americana scene, in the indie scene. She has a soft voice, but powerful, powerful lyrics. So kind of um, reels you in with her beautiful tone and then... Gives you all the shivers with her songwriting. I think that's how I would describe it. But yeah, she grew up listening to everyone from, from the Chicks to James Taylor to Gladys Knight, mixed-raced household in Central Florida. And, um, and yeah, Southern women, black women, all those, you know, interesting, tough dynamics. And she was able to overcome them with flying colors. Not only that, but she studied at Duke, one of the, you know, hardest schools to get into on a full scholarship and she graduated with a public policy degree in 2019. And even though she had a lot going for her professionally in that chapter, she decided to pursue music. So that requires a lot of chutzpah, and we, we love Julie Williams for it. Um, she's also a member of the Black Opry, who, for those of you that may not know, the Black Opry is like a collective of uh, a showcase featuring black artists in country, blues, folk, and Americana that have been taking the world by storm. So she's part of it. Think of it like the Avengers. Right, like lots of really talented folks combining together for a greater cause. So she's part of the Black Opry. But anyway, uh, let's get on with the interview. Thank you for joining Julie Williams on J Rod Concerts, the podcast. Miss Julie Williams. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I gotta start with this. How are you always in such a good state? <laughs> and what I mean is this every time I see you, including obviously now, you're just in great smiling condition. You're hugging everybody. You're just a giver of light. And I know that that's not free. It's not easy. Yeah. Well, um, I love that you say that. I don't necessarily feel like that all the time, but 
I think, especially being in, when you see me, we're in Nashville and just the community here, it just brings, brings it out of you. It's just so exciting to, to see people doing what they love and chasing their dreams. And, um, whether that's on the music side or on the, on the creative and photography and videography, I don't know. There's just, just really exciting to be, to be a part of this ecosystem. So I feel like every time I see you that I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm being constantly reminded of all the greatness around me. So you're so. always giddy because you're doing what you love. Yeah, it's, that's, I think there's, there's so many moments in our career that's, that's so boring, like email answering and yeah. going through and editing the tiniest little thing um, and, you know, entering all your, all your info into the PRO for your royalty splits. Like it's also boring. But those are those moments where you get reminded of why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. It's that time. You're yeah. like, oh, I'm playing the show. I'm getting to see my my music responding with people. Oh, I'm meeting other songwriters and creatives. Like, that's the fun part that I think people think about when they think of being an artist. But that's not all the time. So I think when I have those moments, I'm just reminded of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so I'm pretty pretty usually happy to, to be there yeah. for those moments. Oh, like, and it's such an exciting time for you because I feel like, you know, Julie Williams is a name and it's like a beautiful brand and it inspires I, things in people. Um, but, you know, the moments where it was tedious, where it was harder, uh, where you were a Duke, just like, you know, with the dream and the push and all that, like what kept you going in, in, in the low moments? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think even you saying right now that Julie Williams is like a brand or a name that people know that's still... So crazy to me because I feel like I always have the name. It's so generic that people look up and it's like somebody's step grandma or something like that. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, I mean, Duke was tough. I, I wasn't, I wasn't studying music. I studied public policy. Um, and I was that girl who like grew up. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to work for a nonprofit or government and, and, um, really grinded my way through, through my studies. Um, but I, but I do think that there was always something that was calling me to music. Um, I was a part of, I've always been a part of music ever since I grew up in Florida, playing at beach bars and, and weddings. And there was just something that pulled me to feel like this is what I've meant. This is what I am meant to do. Yeah. Um, and so I think even in those, even in those moments, whenever I, I would have that show or that time that I would play a song and someone would come up to me and say, wow, I was having a really bad day and I was moved by hearing you sing. Um, or, wow, I listened to the words in your songs and I feel like I'm not alone. It was those moments that made me think, oh, there's a, there's a purpose behind what I'm doing, that this isn't just about me. And I think that, that moments like that motivate me through all the tedious moments. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that, that you were studying public policy in mm -hmm. Duke. I mean, it, it sounds now like a funny, like a funny story, like, oh, that's so cool that like you decided to be an artist. But yeah. in that moment, Julie, or in those six months prior to, for you to decide about your career, was that hard? Like, like that must have been quite a decision because I mean, public policy is a great career. You probably could be in the United Nations right now doing, doing like another type of difference in the world, yeah. um, but also fulfilling. But like when you decided to make this choice, talk me through that. Yeah, I think I, I had always been a, I'm, I'm a middle child, but I'm like the oldest daughter. I was always uh, pushed to, to want to achieve greatness and excellence and to be kind of like this perfect kid. And I was really studious and I, 
you know, I would really beat myself up if I got a bad grade on something like that was always the kid that I was. And, um, I think part of that was I, 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 I wanted beyond what, what I, what the, what the life that was in front of me was. And I, I just was, I don't know. I just, I just have always been the streamer. And, um, so I think I, with that, I was always a kid that, that chased like prestige or what I thought prestige was. And mm. for me, that was like going to this big university and getting a scholarship and doing these things. Um, so there was that element, but there was also this element in me that, um, that wanted to, to do good in the world. I wanted the, the work that I would, that I would put into my studies or into my work to make somebody's life a little bit better. So there were kind of those things that I think together drove me to the path that I was on. Um, and I do think that I, I could have had a, a great life uh, in, in that, but I, rem I remember in my, I got to my junior summer before my senior year and I had gotten this internship that I had wanted and worked really hard and um, I had kind of gotten this thing that I thought was gonna be the answer to all of my prayers. And um, when I got there, I realized I'm like, oh, this is, this is a job. Like this is a job and it has real people in it. And um, it didn't have that magic and that glow that I, that I thought would be there if I had achieved this thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll bet this was just an internship, so mm -hmm. I couldn't have expected way too much. But during that summer, I was living in DC. I was also playing gigs. At, just cover gigs at like a local restaurant and I was just getting so much satisfaction and joy out of those gigs versus what I was doing during my week and I and I remember thinking to myself ah oh, like I I I've already had felt so set in this one path in this one career that was chosen for me in this relationship that I was in like, it just seemed like my life was already just going for me, which is funny to think about now. Like, I'm like, oh, I was like 21. Of course, I had so much ahead, but that's what it really felt like to me. And it wasn't until um, a mentor at that internship, I had asked her, I was like, how did you get to where you were? How did you get to this huge position? What did you do right after college? And she, she said, I loved to row. I was a rower. And I wanted... Yeah, like, and she was like, and I wanted to go to the Olympics. So I moved to San Diego and I rode for three years. And I remember at that time thinking, what? Like, you just, you just went and you rode? And she's like, I did that for three years. And then I just didn't get the same joy out of it that I, that I once did. So I thought, hmm, maybe I'll go to grad school. And then I went to grads, I went to law school. And then she became this huge thing. And it was at that exact moment, it was almost like she was giving me permission to like chase my dreams. Um, even though I don't think she necessarily knew that in that lunch, sure. but it was kind of this, she kind of gave me this, this thing of being like, you don't have to figure it, it out. You can, you can go and pursue something you love and go to the Olympics in it, or you cannot, and you can achieve greatness someplace else. Like, I think I, I'd only, I'd only thought that that was my only path to greatness and into a good life and to like making my parents proud and making myself proud. I thought that was the only way. And so in that moment, I don't think that that was what she was intending because she was mentoring me in this internship to probably work at that company. But I thought at the time, oh, I need to, I need to pursue music. Um, Cause if I don't, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. And so 
I went into my senior year um, knowing that I was going to do music. I kind of was checking out different cities and decided on Nashville. But um, I think once I made that decision, it actually took away a lot of the anxiety that I had about what my future was. And I think if you're if you're 21 and already thinking about how much you're going to regret your life for not pursuing something, um, I think that means you're you're on the right, wrong path. You know, <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah, fascinating because what I'm gathering is there's a couple driving forces that you that you used to have. Yeah, used to have a giving, which you still do, and we'll get to it in a minute, and, and kind of contribution. But the other one was certainty. It sounds to me like even growing up, like with grades and with school and with the top universities, like certainty was really important to you. And when she kind of gave you permission to actually seek a little bit of variety and certainty, yeah, like the opposite. Yeah. Opened a whole new pepper. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that was even validation. Like, I think I was a, a kid who I really liked that feeling when I turned in a thing of homework and I got a good grade. It was someone else saying, you, you are good. You did a good job. Yeah. And I think now that's actually something that I am trying to grow out of as an, as an adult and as someone who's in a career that I don't have, you know, I'm, 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 as an independent musician, you are your own business. You are your own boss. You don't have somebody that's handing you like a good job that yeah. you did this thing. Yeah. Um, and I and I did realize that so much of what I was doing was motivating by other people, not only in my work but in my relationships and in and how I was how I live my life is based on getting that validation from other people. And I think something that I've that I've really been working on in the past year or so um, is figuring out, oh, no, who, who am I? What do I want? How can I feel good about myself intrinsically for being myself? Um, and I think I'm excited to see as I, as I continue to learn more of what that looks like, how, how that manifests in my music and yeah. in my career. Well, I think I know how it's going to manifest, how it's manifesting now. And it goes yeah. back to our first question, and it's why you're in such a good state. And I think it's because, you know, I'm a strong believer that the secret to living is giving. Mm, yeah. And through your music, Julie, I mean, whether it's talking about, you know, you struggle when you're a little girl with the curls or, or with abuse with an ex-boyfriend or whatever, and now with the Black Opry and with your own stuff, I feel like you are enlightening people. You're, you're motivating not just young girls, but like dudes of all ages and people of all ages. It's like through your music, you're doing what you originally intended to do with the public policy, no? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean... That has been really powerful for me. I, I, I remember learning actually in one of my public policy classes, um, it was about how do you inspire people to take action on something that doesn't affect them in their life, right? How do you get someone to donate to a cause you care about or to vote for an issue that you care about that maybe they haven't lived and it's through stories. Yeah. You tell a story um, about somebody's journey, about something they're going through yeah. and you think, wow, that upsets me or that makes me sad or wow that makes me so happy I want to do xyz and um and I really think I learned the power of storytelling then in that context but once I started to incorporate my own stories as you said my story of of my hair and my journey to love my curls mm -hmm. um in their natural natural sense in my song southern curls and uh the prince which was an experience that I had of sexual violence with somebody that I went on a date with like that that was an experience that was really difficult and hard for me to kind of go through 
and then to then put it in a song and and know that maybe somebody will listen to it and feel like they're not alone um i think that's there's something so powerful in that uh, but then even you know just just songs and stories of trying to figure it out in my 20s and relationships and breakups and you know and feeling good about myself i think i i love songs that just paint this picture and whoever you are and whatever brings you to that moment to read that story to to see that picture you're going to pull something completely different out of it like when you go to an art exhibit and you see this painting and one person sees it and they're like i don't know what that is and another person sees it and it changes their whole life i think it's just kind of painting that picture and then allowing people to to get things out of it i think it's food building but it also in a weird way takes off a lot of the pressure to as a songwriter and as an artist to make sure you're like i want this person to get this thing from this piece of art i want it to have this message and this purpose so what is going to be the most universal thing that i can say to get the most people to get this story and i think that was when i first started writing songs that's what i what i thought i would think i i tried to to appeal to the masses too much and with my language and I took this amazing songwriting class when I first moved here. And um, I remember she was talking about it's all in the details and it's all in these little mundane things that you don't think are that important. But everybody's life is full of these tiny mundane things that they don't think are important. So when you actually put those little things and you just, you know, you genuinely talk about, oh, I, I walked from here to here and these are the little things I saw and I stubbed my toe, right? Like that's, you think that's so dumb but there's going to be somebody that's like oh I walked here and I stubbed my toe too you know it's like when you focus inward you actually then can have more impact yeah outward yeah Um, so yeah so now it's like oh let me just focus focus on my stories and finding those those beautiful details within things that I might not think are that beautiful yeah um, I wish I could say that I did. Um, I definitely write something. Sometimes I'm writing emails or other things. Um, but, um, I feel like I go in seasons. Um, so oftentimes I feel like I'm in seasons of living and then I'm in seasons of writing. Sometimes you have to like live life and go through things to then write songs about. And I think sometimes I put too much pressure on myself, um, when there aren't things coming out. And I have to remind myself, oh no, you're just, you're going through things. You're, you're living, you're, you're falling in love. You're going through a breakup. You're trying to clean your room. Like in, in things like that, where I have to give myself a little bit of grace. Um, but I do think that I'm constantly observing things in the world around me. And if I hear something that inspires me or see something, I'll always write a little voice note or something. Um, and then, yeah. And then come back to it and write myself or, you know, take those little moments and those snippets and, and bring them to a co-write and, and sit down and say, oh, this is what's been in my mind and let's, let's bring it forward. But, um, I find that if I try to push an idea or a song or a poem that I'm writing too hard, um, and don't give it that time to breathe, True. then I feel like I, I miss out on so many, so many moments or, or moments of reflection that then could give me a different angle to to approach a song or a line totally true yeah well i know you got a lot going on so thank you for your time <laughs> julie let me ask you about the black coffee for us yeah. because um 
that almost came by an accident, right? And it includes a bunch of friends of our show, like like uh, Rizzi Palmer and Miko Marich and, and so many. But it's almost like when the book is written about this era in Nashville, and I think we're living through a golden era. Yeah. Like, I think I think this is like the Laurel Canyon of like the early 70s, stuff, stuff like that. And I think you have a very important role there, including the back copy. Do you guys sometimes, you guys individually have incredible careers, but together you're like the Avengers. <laughs> it does, it does feel like that. Like, yeah. Like you are like creating something seismic because. Oh, it, it, it feels like that. So yeah, if you're listening to the show and, and, um, haven't heard of Black Opry, it's a collective of black artists who do country Americana folk music. Um, and there's about 200 artists that have been in contact with the Black Opry, but, um, there's a hundred or so who have played shows, and um, as you mentioned, it, it really it's it started in 2021 by um, this amazing uh, woman, Holly G. She was just a fan of a black woman who was fan of country music, but realized that there she wasn't following very many black country artists. So she went out and and searched on Google and YouTube and found a lot of us who were these smaller artists that people had never really given the time of day to. And she got to know us and did profiles on us as this blog, the Black Opry. Um, and um, yeah, just really this, she had really had no intention when she started of setting out to build what Black Opry is now and started as this blog. And then this artist, Lizzie No, needed somebody to open up for one of her shows um, and reached out to, to Holly and said, I would love to put some Black artists on the show they put together this little show called the Black Opera Review where they put a whole, a few artists, did it writer's round style, just like in Nashville. And it was this huge hit. They, uh, it was at a city winery. Some other city wineries wanted that show and Americana, the Americana Music Association got, so the, so the crazy thing is I, everyone thinks that I was there right at that beginning, but I actually wasn't. I, so this kind of all started in, in um, like the fall of, 2021 was when that first Americana Fest happened and uh, that's when Black Opry got their booking agency and it really started moving from there. Um, Holly had reached out to me, I need to go back to find the exact time, but when Black Opry was really small, I think there was like nine followers on Instagram and she sent me a message saying, hey, I would like to do an artist profile on you. And I, we joke about it now, I did not respond because I was like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, I'm not, I don't know what to respond. So I, I, I was not there in that first moment, but in uh, January of 2022, I was playing a show with my friend Bonner Black, um, yeah. who was at um, Devin's New Year's show that you saw. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> Bonner is one of my one of my closest one friends, and and she's just I mean incredible. And we were playing a show together. It was at the Listening Room in Pigeon Forge, and it had just opened up. So she said, "Hey." I'm playing a show over here. Would you want to come and do it with me? And we go drive all the way to Gatlinburg Pitcher Forge, which is like three hours from Nashville. And there were, no joke, three people there. It was the two of us playing to a room of three people. And we played the show, and I remember just feeling so, like, dejected. And at that time, I was questioning. I was like, what am I doing here? I'd put out Southern Curls, and it had, had a little buzz at the beginning, but then it really faded, and I hadn't felt really inspired or really felt like what I wanted to do was going to have a place here in this industry. And we played that show on Pigeon Forge and I posted a little Instagram story saying I was there and Holly reached out and said, Hey, we're here playing a show at Dollywood. You should come and you should come meet everybody. And 
I remember thinking, I was like, oh, I'm kind of tired. I'm not in the best mood. I just, and I said to Bonner, I was like, we could go, we could not. She's like, let's just go. You know, we, we can go. It, it can go and it can, it could be lame, just like this other show was. And, or we can go and have this amazing time. And I do attribute that, you know, that moment to having, to Bonner being like, let's just, let's just go. And we went and I, and I got there, the show was already over, but I got to hang in the hotel room with, with Holly G and Tanner and Roberta Lee, Aaron Vance. And I started to meet all these people. And we just sat there in the hotel room, passed around our guitar, singing songs. We were all crying at some point. And it just felt, I, I just felt this magic and this family with these people that I'm literally sitting in a hotel room. With. And that's when they first started kind of filming this Black Opry documentary. So that was like, that was the first year we were filming it. So I think people were like, oh, you've been here since the beginning. And I was kind of there at that beginning time. And, and I told her, I said, uh, I want to be a part of this. Put me on any show, any place. At that time, I was really single. I was like, I've got nothing in Nashville that I need. Put me on the road. I will live in my car. I want to do this. And so she put me on some of those first few Black Opry runs. And from there, kind of the rest was history. And once I played those first few shows, I, I yeah, I just remember thinking it was like me, Roberta Lee, Tyler Bryant, Nikki Morgan. On this first run, we played Macon, Georgia, Waverly, Alabama, and Charlotte, North Carolina. And I just knew from that moment, I was like, I don't know what this is, but this just feels like magic. And I feel more inspired, more loved, more comfortable than I've ever felt before yeah. doing any sort of work playing on any sort of stage and any sort of show. Um, and I just, I'm just like, I just need to give myself into whatever this is. And um, from there, that's when I was then able to start booking my own shows, it got me on the radar of Leslie Fram and CMT and all those things that then I got the next bit of country. And really from there, my life has changed. And um, I don't think I would be where I am today without the Black Opry. And I think there's a lot of artists that would say that. And, and so, I, I think that it is this new wave that does feel like this golden era because I think for so long there was only there's only ever been able to be one. There are labels that say, oh, we signed a woman this year, so we can't sign another one. Or we already have a black country artist on our roster, so we're set. And it's always kind of been this like king of the hill yeah. mentality um, when it comes to marginalized folks being in being in those spaces. But it really feels like we're building this new thing. It's it's as much as we're working to advance our own careers and our own individual journeys, it's also about, you know, what are we doing? How are we advancing? Yeah. You know, how can we, we hold hands and walk into these rooms together? Because there is so much strength and there is so much power um, in not only, you know, the opportunities that, provi that it provides, um, but also just the, the strength that it gives us as individuals when we know that we have people that are out there rooting for us. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty magical. And I think that they're, it's, it's a shame. I think, I think a lot of people in Nashville know about the black art and what they're doing. And I think people, when we go and play these shows, I, I can see them growing in numbers, which is really exciting. But, but I think that it is really this untapped thing. I think there's, a, there's a lot of people that when, if they were to discover and go to a black opera show and oh see the magic, it would really, it would really change their lives because they've changed. Yeah. Roll by it, you get like the Danny show will blow you. Do you get, yeah, and that's that's the yeah. thing where people I don't think people understand like the complexity and and how different 
black country artists are. Like, I think if people would say, they're like, wow, I just signed, you know, I, I signed Luke Combs and then, um, yeah, I, I signed Sam Hunt. I can't sign Sam Hunt. You're like, those are completely different artists, their artistry. Yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't, you know, bring in Brothers Osborne because I just got, you know, Lainey Wilson, right? There, there's so many differences. And, and why have we been able to see see those variations between white artists and their artistry and distinguish and then with people of color because the music that I make is so different than the music yes and the music of one the duo and you know of Reese Palmer and Chapel Heart right like we are completely different different artists that have different genres that are gonna have different niches um you know while at the same time really supporting and uplifting each other but I think by looking at, at us all as this like monolith um, it's it's a big disadvantage to us artists, but also to fans and to labels. Like yeah. there, are, there's really this plethora of artists that have these unique sounds. Um, that I think once people really get to know the Black Opry and get to know, you know, Color Me Country and really dive in, you get to see this beautiful variation of of folks. Um, yeah. yeah too. Well, let me leave you with this. Um, today when we're recording this, and Beyonce. Has the number one billboard. Yeah. First, first person of color. A first black woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. If any, does it inspire you? Like, what do you think it means? Yeah. I mean, I feel so inspired by this. That by this. This era. I mean, even the last week, I had posted a TikTok saying, I, "I'm so excited for this Black Country era, not only for Black." for for Beyonce and what this means for her but also what it means for independent black artists and that TikTok was my most well-performing TikTok and I put a list of all the artists that I love and immediately I saw my follower account go up exponentially and on all these platforms and um and there are a number of my artist friends who are also saying the same thing that that there are people that are finding us there are black fans that are finding us, which is really amazing. And a lot of people that say, I didn't think I would listen to country music, but I found your music and I love it. And I think that that's what's really exciting about that time because country music, it's this, it's a genre that that there are a lot of gatekeepers. There still are radio, um, you know, labels. There were only 10 black country artists and in, in the major country labels in 2022. And so, so I think what's really cool about this era is it's kind of cutting out those middlemen. Like it's allowing, it's been allowing fans to discover these artists without those, without those people on platforms like TikTok, on Instagram Reels, social media, YouTube, um, Twitter X. Uh, people are saying, hey, if you like Beyonce, this new Beyonce music, if you're discovering that you like it for the first time, check out my stuff. And it really is showing this kind of community aspect, I think, um, in ways that I think when other kind of artists have had these moments, it's it's been like that artist moment. But I feel like part of what Beyonce is doing, which is, I mean, she's just a genius, is through Renaissance. You know, she yeah, she's she's like educating folks and showing, oh, black black artists have a space here. There is there's history behind it, um, and and country what you what you've been told to think that it is, that's not the whole picture. Here's what it can look like. And people are being able to say, wow, oh my gosh, I love this. Let me dive in. And as I dive in, 
let me find and support these other people too. So it really is, really is an exciting time. And, and I think that it's also going to be so inspirational for people to, and young girls to be able to see someone who looks like them achieving greatness in country. Because, you know, I was always so inspired by the chicks and Shania Twain and Trisha Yearwood and all those people when I was younger and by what they were saying and the messages that they had. Um, but I never necessarily saw like that their path could be my path. Right. And now you get to see people achieve that level of greatness. You're like, oh, there's there's a lane for me um, there. And with Black Opera with Color Me Country, kind of helping people to get there, it's really an exciting time to be a part of a part of Black country music. Yeah, no, I would love to. We would love to. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Hey, this is Julie Williams, and this is my song, Southern Curls. Southern baby, bow tied, big girl, white I knew I should. Mama put my coat on, kissed me, and sent me off to school For my first day at a new place Daddy held my hand and walked me down the hallway Then he waved and said they'll love you But not all southern girls are met with open doors Some of us are looked down on before we're even born Cause our too tight skin is too dark To feel beautiful just as we are I'm a southern girl With the wrong kind of southern curves With the wrong kind of southern curves No, they 15 lipstick sneaking mama's high heel shoes off to my first school dance Will I get my first kiss too Was on cloud nine Till I heard my biggest crush Tell me I'd have better luck With my own kind And I cried cause I knew Not all southern girls are met with open doors Some of us are looked down on Before we Cause our too tight skin is too dark To feel beautiful as we are I'm a southern girl With the wrong kind of southern curves With the wrong kind of southern curves Wish I could tell the bow-tied girl feels alone inside this world she's gonna be okay the times are changing but the world still tries to pull me down i've had to fight to love myself sometimes it feels like i can't breathe i fight so no one has to feel that anymore Twenty-three in Music City with dreams and high-heeled boots 
Singing for a crowd of blue eyes Well, they want me to But all those mean words that ruled my world Don't make me feel like less than anymore Because I know that I glow and so do you Girls aren't too tight, skin ain't too dark We are beautiful as we are We are southern girls With our own kind of southern curves With our own kind of southern curves With our own kind of southern You have been listening to J-Rod Concerts, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in.